I, I, I invite you to open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. I had a good comment there. And we're going to be looking at the destructive power of hate, of hate, verses 11 to 15. And, and let me ask you, you know, we, we live in a world filled with hate. Um, politicians hate one another. Um, nations hate one another. Sports teams hate one another. Um, it usually comes out in, in, our, in our settings more in politics and more in sports than anything else. But have you ever been, found yourself in a situation where you have hate in your heart for somebody? Where you're just upset at them and you hate them? Right now, don't ask me how I feel about the Cleveland Guardians. I don't like them right now. Hate is easy to come into my heart here because they're about to bounce the Yankees out of the playoffs. And there's certain kinds. Do you find yourself harboring hate against any politician right now? All right, I'm not hearing any amens. It's easy to go down that path. It's easy to choose the path of hate. Now, now let me, let me just explain this. When I'm talking about hate, I'm not just talking about that passion to do something wrong to somebody or hurt somebody. That's part of it as well. But it can range from anywhere from not caring at all or just caring less about somebody and doing nothing for them to really wanting them to die. It can go all the way to that. So it could be like, I just don't care about him. I'm not, I don't hate him. I don't like him. And so I, I'm not going to do anything for him. And, and that's, that's how we get. And that's the world we live in. This is a world filled with hate for one another. We live in this. It's everywhere you go. Turn on the news. You see the brother killing brother. You see people calling cops to their houses and shooting them dead. You see neighbor fighting over dumb things, fences and grass and trees and, and, and cars parked in their driveway. You see all kinds of hate everywhere we go, there's hate. You see even hate in the church. People get upset that certain people want to live for God and, and serve the Lord. So there's this, I don't really like the person, I don't care for the person, I don't wish them dead, but I don't like them, that's hate. Wow, think about that for a moment. And, and I want to I show you there's three tests here of authentic Christianity. There's the doctrinal test, uh, who is Jesus? We, we know that one. And, and remember, we can't deviate anything on who the person and work of Jesus is. The moment we make Jesus someone that he's not in the Bible, we are not saved. We cannot be saved from a Jesus who's not in the Bible. We can't deviate from who he is. Who is Jesus in the Bible? He's the Christ. Amen. He is the son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the chosen one. He is God. He is fully God and fully human. And we can't deviate from any of that. The moment we do, we don't have the Jesus of the Bible. That's a doctrinal test. That's a pretty important test. Then there's the, the moral test. The, the righteous living, 
John really goes all, all through that. We talked about confessing sins and how we need to confess our sins. We can't say we're without sin. We all have sins, so we confess our sins. We have keeping the commandments, abiding in Christ, not loving the world, being confident that it's coming. There's moral tests as well. And then there's the social test. The, the love for God's children. Now, let me just say this, as John would say it, and, and so don't get mad at me, get mad at John and his, his word. Here's what he'll say. If you've deviated from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, of who he is and what he has done for you, and you think you're saved, you are a liar. You are deceived. You are actually calling God a liar. If you think that you could say, I walk in, I, I'm in the light, but yet I walk in darkness and I don't really live for God, but I'm saved, but I'm walking in continual habitual sin. He says, you're a liar. You're deceived. Something's wrong. And now he's going to tell us really hard and, and really say to us, if you say that you really love God, and that you believe in the Jesus of the Bible, and that you want to live for God, but you don't love God's people, something is wrong. Yes. Yes. And we're going to see what that means in a moment. In fact, when did this all start? When did we have to start loving God's people? You ever, you ever wonder that? I mean, when, when do I, you know, can I get saved and then 20 years later start loving them? I mean, when does it start? You know, when, when does it begin? When do I have to begin? Well, look at this. Look at 1 John 3, 11. He says, for this is the message which you have heard from when? From the very beginning. And so the, the moment the gospel message is preached, with the gospel message, it is understood that we are to love God and love his people. It's from the very beginning. We, we, we study it all throughout the Bible. It, it's all over. In fact, it is in Romans. It's in Hebrews. It's, it's everywhere. But I want to show you a verse. I, I love this verse here. 1 Peter 1.22. It talks about this right away. It says, Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls. Now, don't miss this. How do we purify our souls? You ready for this? We submit to God's gospel. Yes. The moment we submit to God's truth and accept the Jesus of the Bible and get saved, our souls are purified. Now, why are our souls purified? Look at the verse. It is purified for what? For a sincere love of the brethren. There it is. God saves us so that we would love the brethren. Don't miss this. What kind of love? Sincere love. Not this play the part, love. Not this, oh, I just love you, but we're playing the part. This is not a hypocritical love. We're going to see here, Lord willing, next week, this is not just words here. These are actions here. This is not just playing the part. This is a real love for, for one another. Watch this. Not only that, look at it here. It's a fervent love. It, it lasts. It's not just as some people when they get married, they say at the altar, until debt do we part. And the moment that they go into debt, all of a sudden they don't love each other anymore. And you go your way and I'll go my way because we can't be together. This is a love that lasts. 20 years with Katie. Not much I've had to put up with. 20 years. I'm kidding around. Not much she has to be put up with for 20 years. It's an earnest love. I love this word fervent because it speaks, the NIV uses it. It's a deep love. It's a love that is costly. It's, an, it's a love that takes effort. 
I, I was thinking about the youth and how, you know, certain people that were helping with the youth, Lori would always help with the food. That takes effort, by the way. Trish and Devin come and help them with different things, the games, the cleaning, all that takes effort. Wilfredo getting up at, having to be here from midnight to five o'clock in the morning. That's love. My shift, eight o'clock when I get up in the morning. <laughs> to 10 o'clock, maybe. Two hours I'll give them. Nathan's in the dark. For how many hours were you sitting there in the dark? Three and a half hours. Sitting there in the dark. That's love. Ben coming here and thinking he can play basketball with the kids and, and, uh, and you know, Matt and Whitney bringing their games. And bring, that is effort. That is love. And I'm probably forgetting Maya, all the stuff that she did, the stuff that she brought. Man, alive. I won't talk about that later. But yeah, I mean, I mean, unbelievable stuff. The games that she brought. It's just amazing. That's fervent love. It's a love that costs. It's a love that takes effort. We can't just sit in the pews or in the chairs and love one another. It's effort here. And not only that, I love this. Verse, verse 22, it says this. It's a love from where? From the very heart. It touches our emotions. It affects us. When, 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 we, when we're loving somebody, it, it really affects the, the body, the, the, the soul, the inside of us, because we love them from the heart. It, it's easy to love from the lips, but to love from the heart, to really care about somebody from the inside, that's amazing. And, I, and I'm just, he's saying this is, this is the kind of love that we've learned from the very beginning when we get saved. This is the love that God wants. Now, more on that next week. And, and, and here's what he's going to do here. He's going to do this. He's going to contrast. John loves contrast. I don't know why, but he likes to teach things through contrast. I tell the kids sometimes, all right, one of the three things is true. Um, you, you tell me which one is the three things are true. I'm handsome. I'm tall and I'm athletic. Wow. <laughs> I didn't get one amen from any of them, right? Alright, I'm not tall. If you're standing next to tall people, you know I'm not tall. Handsome, well, probably not either. Or, you know, athletic, probably not. I mean, I'm sure something's going on here. But how do you know if I'm tall? How do you know if I'm handsome? How do you know if I'm athletic? Put me next to people like that. Put me next to it. Put me next to Devin. You'll see I'm short. All right? He's tall. You don't mess with him. Put, put me next to Steven. I mean, you're a handsome guy. I mean, I, I give you, put me next to him. You see, I'm not so, I'm not so handsome. Put, put me next to athletic. Put me next to Ben from over here. You see, I'm not that athletic. You contrast things. Watch what he does here. He contrasts, he says, walk in darkness, walk in light. Look at his contrast. Say we have no sin, we better be confessing our sin. Look at his contrast. Keep God's commandments, don't keep God's commandments. There's the, there's the contrast. Look at the contrast. Those who love the world, those who love the Father. Big contrast, big difference. Look at this one. The Antichrist in Christ. You better believe that's a big contrast. And he puts it right in the same chapter. Look at this. Those who deny Christ, those who confess Christ. There's the two options. Watch this. Confident at Christ's coming, there's some that are ashamed at Christ's coming. Now, look at this here. Children of the devil, children of God. I love the cell phones. Children of the devil and children of God. That's quite a contrast, don't you think? 
You ready for another one? Love, and what's the contrast of love? Hate. Now watch this. This is incredible. He's going to use an amazing contrast. Now, if I, if, before we go to the next one, if I could mention anyone in the Old Testament in my book, I probably wouldn't mention this character, but watch what John does. Look at this. Verse 12. Not as who? Cain. Remember him? Yep. And why did he kill Abel? Because he was Abel. But, you know, Cain. That's a really bad one. Cain. I mean, of all the people to mention in the Bible, why would you mention Cain? Because he's the epitome of what hate is. Watch this. Cain, look at verse 12. Not as Cain. You are to, to love one another like you've heard from the beginning. Not as Cain. Who was Cain? Cain was of the evil one. Cain was inspired by the evil one. Instigated by the evil one. The evil one hates. Hates everything. He, he has come to destroy. He hates. Cain was inspired. He's, an, he's of the evil one. And what did he do? Watch this. We know this. He slew his brother. You ever study that word slew out in the, in the Greek? It means to sl he slit his throat. He butchered him. This is the first horror movie in the Bible. He butchered his brother. It's actually later on the same word used of Jesus that was the Lamb of God that was slain. But here in this context, this is a bloody... This wasn't an accidental death. Don't think that the two brothers were fighting. Oh, give me that. Give me that piece of bread. Give me that piece of bread. Oh, oh I killed him. No, not that. This was premeditated murder. He hated him. He slew his brother. And here's the question. Why did he do it? Every time we hear of a murder on the news, our first question is, is what, what makes people go into a movie theater and shoot people up? Or go into a church and shoot them up? What makes a child shoot their parent? You ever wonder? What, what, why, why do they do these things? What's the reason, it says here in verse 12, why did he do it? Why? What made him do it? Did they, did, was Abel just like an instigating brother that just really, hey, yeah, 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 just fighting with him all the time and finally Cain couldn't take him, just killed him and slit his throat? What is the reason? You want to know the reason? It's right here in the Bible. It tells us what the reason was. Look at verse 12. Because his deeds were evil, speaking of Cain, and his brothers were what? Righteous. Why did he kill his brother? Because his brother wanted to follow God and trust God. And that bothered him. And that made him upset. In fact, you know the story. Cain and Abel. Abel was the shepherd. Cain was the farmer. God asked for a sacrifice. And God was pretty specific on what kind of sacrifice. And what does Abel do? He gives the best of the flock. And what does Cain do? He gives him a sacrifice of veggies. But we understand something here. I want to show you what was the difference between Cain and Abel. And here it is right here in Hebrews 11.4. Well, look at this. Here's the difference. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. Don't miss those words. By faith, this means he trusted in God. He, he listened to God's instruction. He submitted to God's instruction. He worshipped God God's way. Cain... Worship God his way. Cain did the things that he wanted to do. 
Cain didn't listen to God. Cain did not trust in God. Cain did not listen to the instructions. So what did Cain do? He offered what he wanted to offer. He wanted to get to God his way. Can't do that. We have to submit to God his way. And by faith, Abel submitted to God. And look at this. Though he attained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts and through faith, though he is dead, guess what? His testimony still speaks. We have to come to God his way. We have to submit to God's commands. We have to trust in the Lord. We have to deem that he is best and we have to live by faith. And he did that. And you know what? It bothered Cain so much that he got mad. So much he cut his throat and butchered his brother. It bothered him. He said, what does this have to do with me? I know the story. What in the world does this have to do with me? Well, thank you for asking. Look at the verse here. Verse 13. Do not be surprised, brethren. Guess what? The spirit of Cain lives on. The world will hate you. And let me tell you when the world will hate you the most. You ready for this? When you want to live for God the most. I'm amazed that this is even in the church. When people want to do things that God has called them to do, all of a sudden they have to hear things of ridicule, even amongst us. I remember Ellie getting ripped for wanting to go to Ohio, go to school. For what? She wanted to serve the Lord. That bothered some. Let me just tell you, we don't even have to say a word that bothers people. I, I remember this came very early in my Christianity. We were walking around the dorms and we went to go see some friends. We walk in a room and they were doing something. I don't know what they were drinking or what they were doing, but they got all nervous when we walked in the room. They started to hide all their stuff and put it behind them. And all. We just walked in the room. I didn't even say anything to them. Afterwards, they said to, their, to each other, and they told me later, we felt like we were in church when you walked in. I just walked in. And it bothered them. Without a word, you stand for life, guess what? It will bother people. It bothers the world. Now, here in America, we're, we're, we're babied. We, we're not worried about as much coming to church and bothering our neighbors and they start shooting at us. But in some countries, right now, as we speak, it may cost their lives to go to church. Just to walk there, it bothers them. It, it, it bothers people, and it's amazing. Righteous living bothers people. Don't be surprised about that. What do you want? Everyone just to pat you on the back because you love life? They're not going to do that. And here's what's sad. Even some in the church won't do it. But we don't do that because of them. We do it because of God. Stop, stop marveling. Should I marvel that every week when we put a Facebook post, somebody in our neighborhood puts something that's demeaning and mean on our Facebook page? Why should that surprise me? It shouldn't. Because without, you know why they hate us? Here's why they hate us. You ready for this? Here's why. Look at it. It says, for everyone who does evil, what do they do? They hate the light. And they do not come to the light for the fear that his deeds will be what? Exposed. You know what, you know what living for God means to people? Here's what it means to them. Living in the light reveals, reminds, and rebukes those who live in darkness. 
It shows them they're not living for God and it bothers them. It reveals the kind of life that they have that is empty. I'll never forget, we were in one house in Peru and we were there and we were serving the Lord and this guy just started to cry. He was weeping, tears came down his eyes. He goes, I just watch you guys share the gospel and I know my life is not like that and I hate it. I don't live for God. It reveals. You know why we get upset sometimes? Because it reminds us how much we don't live by faith. And we trust in the things of this world and it really bothers them. And we are going to trust in God and live for Him. He says, don't be surprised that the world hates you. But here's what we ought never to do. Stoop down to their level and hate back. In fact, I'm here to tell you something. Watch this. We know that we have passed out of death into life. You want to know if you're saved here today? This is a very clear proof right here in verse 14. A very interesting word there, passed out of. It speaks of the Greek word of migrating. We've migrated. We've, we've migrated from death. Before Christ, we were living dead in our sins. We had death. We had no life. They were, we were dead people walking. But now we've migrated into life. Now we have true life. How do we know? How do we know? Not because we come to church, not because we read our Bibles, not because we, we hand out some tracts. Here's how we know. Because we love who? We love God's people. Yes. But no love, guess what? No life. He who does not love abides in what? Death. In fact, watch this, verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a what? A murderer. <laughs> you say, I've never killed anyone. I'm here to tell you there's a lot more murderers in this room than you think. You say, wait a minute, are they? I'm going to a different church. Where are they? Help them raise their hand. Everyone a murderer. Raise their... You know, are you ready for this? Are you ready when we've murdered? You want to know what Jesus says? He says, you've heard before. Watch this. You've... You've, you've heard before, you shall not commit murder. But I'm going to tell you this. Anyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to your brother, look at that, you good for what? You ever call anyone that? You've murdered. You ready for this? Whoever says you fool. You want to know what that word is? The Greek word moron. Anybody call anybody a moron before? <laughs> I got a few hands here, huh? Guess what? You've murdered in God's eyes. That moron, does he ever know what he's doing there? That good for nothing? Why do we even have this guy in control? He's good for nothing. He's a moron. Why, 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 why do we have this over here and this, this person? And, and when we talk about all these kind of things, we do it in sports too. That idiot of a manager, he's a moron. We're murdering. We murder politicians. We murder, and we murder people in the church. What an idiot. Why don't they do that? He's a moron. We may not say that out loud, but guess what? We're murdering in our hearts. And let me tell you something. Hate is just one step away from murder. 
Because we can go from anywhere from not caring about them to wishing that they would die. And sometimes we even may say it. I hope that person, somebody comes and wipes them out. I'll never forget when Obama came in to be the president. How many people would say, boy, I'm just hoping that somebody comes and wipes him out. Watch out with that attitude. All of a sudden in our hearts, we've stooped down to their level. We are returning hate with hate. And that's not what God wants. In fact, look what it says here in verse 15. If we live with that constant anger and that constant hate in our lives, guess what it says here? There's no gospel root. Watch this, verse 15. You know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, he's not saying a murderer who repents and all that. He's talking about someone who lives in this constant, habitual, hating life. This, this angry life. Guess what? When there's angry life, when there's no love, guess what? There's no root. Because there's no fruit. And let me just tell you this. This is what I love. You want to know the solution to hate? It's not bowing our knee when people are singing the national anthem. It's not wearing a shirt saying all these things. You know what? The, you want to know what the solution is? Are you ready for this? The solution for hate is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes. Matt gave me a video of uh, a guy. I never heard of him before. Jonathan Isaac. How many of you have heard of Jonathan Isaac? Have you guys heard of him? The NBA player? Some of you know him. A lot of you don't even know him. NBA. I never even knew who he was. NBA player in 2020. African-American. Who got saved just before that and wanted to live for God. And as he's as he's wanting to live for God, 2020 shows up to his locker. And what's there? There's a shirt saying Black Lives Matters. And it says also, we're going to kneel down when they sing the national anthem. You know what he said, Jonathan Isaac? He says, you know what, guys? I'm not going to kneel. I'm not going to kneel. Because I'm not going to return what they're doing with the same stuff. In fact, he says, and this is what is beautiful. The gospel's the answer to the hate in the world. Here's an African-American NBA basketball player who shows up to his locker and sees that stuff. I'm here to tell you, my friends, we want to get rid of the hate. We don't get rid of it by putting a, writing a letter and saying, you're such a moron, I wish you were out of office or whatever. You are an idiot, this and that's not going to get rid of the hate. You want to get rid of the hate, preach the gospel. Because once the root takes place, guess what? The fruit of love comes. What a change. What a difference. We don't fight hate with hate. He says, look, if, you, if that's your life, guess what? You're living just like them. In fact, if you keep living like them, it's a good sign that you've never been saved. Because the gospel root, love is the fruit. So, so how do we put this into practice? Well, here it is. You're encountering hatred. You ought to be. Here's what you ought to do. Rejoice. First thing you ought to do is make sure that your life is not making them hate you because of you're doing things that are dumb that are making them hate you. No, not that. Not because it's my fault. But if I'm living for Jesus and they hate me, rejoice. Rejoice. But here's another thing. Maybe you're harboring hatred. 
Here's what we need to do. And I don't know about you, but this comes into my life often. We need to repent. We need to ask God to change our hearts. You say, what is it about Cain that makes John mention it? You know what, you know what makes John mention this? Look at this here. In Genesis 4, 6-7, watch this. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And, and, and why is your continents fallen? This is before he murdered his brother. Why, why are you mad? You know how you can tell somebody's mad? Look at their face. Why are they mad? Abigail used to do this with her lips. Mm. <laughs> that was a mad face. You didn't mess with her. All right, some of you, we know you're mad. You're visibly mad. You're angry. You're upset. We, we know by your face. Look what he says. I love this in verse 6 and 7. Look what he said. If you do well, don't miss this. If you do well, if you obey me, if you submit to me, if you follow me, if you live for me, will not your countenance be what? Lifted up. It's amazing how when we live for God, it changes what we are and our faces even. But if you don't do well, sin's right there at the door and it's desire for you. And look what he says here. But you must master it. And we're going through nothing like this lady was. Listen to this. A 14-year-old boy who was convicted for shooting and killing an innocent teenager in a gang-related incident. The teenager's mother attended the trial and she sat quietly until the verdict of guilty was announced and he was sentenced to a juvenile facility for a number of years. She looked at him and said, I'm going to kill you. A few months later, she went to go visit that young lad in prison and gave him money for cigarettes and brought him food and small gifts. And she kept on visiting him. After three years, he was eligible for parole, but he had nowhere to live. So she invited him to her home and helped him get a job. And after a few months, she spoke these words. Listen to this. I didn't want to live because you killed my son. I didn't want you to live because you killed my son. I wanted to change you. And my boy, had, and my boy is gone. But the killer is gone as well. If you stay with me, I've got a room and I'd like to adopt you if you'll let me. Now watch this. This is where it gets amazing. The remarkable woman became the mother of her son's killer. And she became the mother he never had. You see, we live in a world of hate. But what they don't have is love. But we have that. Because we have the gospel. And we can give them something they've never had. Is that your heart? Or maybe you just want them to disappear. Go away. Die. Well, let me just tell you this. Our love for one another is the flower and fruit that indicates eternal life is at the root. We live a different life because we have Christ. We can't do it without Him. Let's bow in prayer. Right where you are, where you're bowed, I'm not even looking at you. This is between you and God. Maybe some of you are harboring hate 
and you really wish that person would just go away, maybe even die. I pray right now that you would confess that to the Lord and ask Him to change your heart. And not only that, that you would in this week go to that person and show them love. It may be a text message, it may be a phone call, whatever it may be. But we don't attack hate with hate, we attack hate with love. And maybe that person just needs the gospel. So ask God to help you to be able to be a witness to that person who's so filled with hate. And say, Lord, would you use me to be an instrument for the gospel that I could share with them and help their hearts change. Once they get saved, Lord, we know that their hearts will be changed. So use us as instruments to share the greatest news that we ever could, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is the root in you? If the root's in you, the fruit's there. Father, we, we come before you, God. You know our hearts. We can play the games and say the words, but how are we right now? Maybe it's a sibling we're mad at. Maybe it's a parent. We just wish they would go away. Maybe it's a child. Lord, change us right now, we pray. Help us not to live like the world lives, hate for hate. Help us, Father, to live the life that you've called us to do. Our souls have been purified for a sincere love, a fervent love, a love from the heart. We look to you and only you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.